let me start differently. Hi, this is Aga and Łukasz, and this is Catching the Next Wave podcast, where we discuss the future of design. And much more. <laughs> so season 10 is behind us and it's our 10th anniversary. Seasonversary? Seasonversary? <laughs> something. <laughs> Nothing to do with years. But definitely something to do with seasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, seasons, but there are four seasons in a year. Yeah, but we not always make four seasons in oh, a year. Oh, you, you don't mean like they... <laughs> weather seasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I wish that we had time to actually run four seasons a year, but sometimes we manage and sometimes we almost manage mm. and sometimes we don't. Which year did it start? Remember that with Werner? Werner? Uh, 2018 or 2017? No, must have been 2018. So 18. Mm-hmm. Three years. Three years, 10 seasons. Yeah. Three and a bit per year. Yeah, that's still what I'm impressive. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, how was this season for you? It was very interesting in a sense that we went down very different rabbit holes. Mm. It gave me a lot of joy to have those conversations. I, I always enjoy having those conversations. By the way, it's not like there is a, a single season which I didn't enjoy. However. I must say that although this is the 10th season, I'm always surprised that when we have those conversations, they are fresh and different and they open some doors in my head every time. How about you? Yeah, I liked that the theme was so broad that we could go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Really. (laughs) We have so few guests, at least until now we had so few guests that were on this podcast more than once. I mean, you know many of these people from before, but for me, most of them I think I meet for the first time, Mm -hmm. at least this season. So yeah, the conversation has to be fresh. Is there anything that stuck with you in a sense of like recurring themes or something that, I don't know, surprised you or triggered you everyone has a rabbit hole more than one (laughs) that's definitely (laughs) a recurring theme from these conversations (laughs) but it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them it's just that the brain works as it works and we had a guest with a very broad selection of backgrounds this season i really didn't think through like the one level down those conversations so i'm not sure if you dig deep enough, there is something common in all the rabbit holes that we have mentioned. Maybe at least that once it pulls you in, you really need some, I don't know, external trigger or some discipline or something to shake you and make you notice, oh, I'm down a rabbit hole. Do I want to continue? (laughs) You? I think that I've noticed, or at least I deduced to aspects that make people want to visit rabbit holes and 
at the same time, these two characteristics or aspects help them get out of the rabbit holes, mm-hmm. at least get her heads outside of a rabbit hole because they may want to come back to the rabbit hole. Some of the rabbit holes are actually a comfy place to stay in. One is a mindset and the other is curiosity. I think that that was something that on this deeper level I felt stemmed through all the conversations that we had in the season. And it was the willingness of our guests to <laughs> go deeper, even if it felt maybe scary. What did you mean by mindset? Mindset in a sense that you have to consciously allow yourself and open yourself up to seeing your rabbit hole and to to being able to identify that this is a rabbit hole. Maybe the mindset is a bit of a broad word here, but uh, nonetheless, for me, it expresses a certain state of mind, Mm -hmm. which is open and reflective at the same time that that gets you to go head down into a certain rabbit hole and then maybe get onto the other side even sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's something we didn't touch upon what's at the other end of the rabbit hole it was mostly about getting into one uh, being in one and getting out but i always assume going back the same way right yeah via yeah. the entrance but mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I haven't thought about it either. Uh, Maybe this will be a double feature theme. Maybe season 20 will be what's on the other side of the rabbit hole. (laughs) Of the mirror. Yeah. (laughs) To continue the... Alice (laughs) metaphors, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we once again had eight guests. And this season starts with the person who triggered the theme. Mm-hmm. Joy van Baren, I think we mentioned her in our intro. She's a friend of mine from Master's Studies, Peggy Neindhoven User System Interaction Program. She is right now a Growth Acceleration Director at Ordina, which is an IT consultancy. What she's responsible for is to create ways for her company, for Ordina, to develop new in-house products and through this they may go beyond being a consultancy or the body leasing. I remember this conversation going on two tracks. Mm -hmm. So she was working on inside their own company, but also with clients. Yes. So it was interesting to see those two trails converging and diverging Mm -hmm. as well. What really stayed for me from this conversation is her concept of business as unusual. Mm. The fact that if you want to have this culture of corporate startup, you need to give space and create space for doing things differently and also for having a culture that's based on, Joy called it brutal honesty, and you typically call it no bullshit. (laughs) So like very much no bullshit culture. I loved how she looked into the details of that mindset, how you can build it and what are the challenges that you meet on the way. If that business is any similar to the one in Poland and probably is the basic level of IT consultancy, like the Basileasing, it's Basileasing. It's very tough market. I don't think she mentioned it explicitly, but I know this similar company from Poland. And it's very challenging to get the clients to introduce even a small change. 
What do you mean by introducing a small change? I'm not sure that I, that I understand. So if you are in a body leasing business, typically the clients are big companies, think banks and telecoms, insurance companies. And if you think about it, normally they have constant need for these people from the outside. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, they don't want to hire them. Why would that happen if you have critical IT infrastructure and you don't want to hire people and have them on your side to maintain it or develop it? Normally, you have some weird construction behind it. Are the politics are at play or the business model is not common sense? If you don't have the common sense basics, I mean, your crown jewels <laughs> should be guarded by your own people then it's not a company that likes to change and to evolve and do things differently than they used to. That's very interesting. Okay. So the next guest is Heather Shavin. We know each other from the Alden BA crowd. Heather is running a beautiful, beautiful concept. It's called Go Go Done. And this is a platform for people to come and to spend time together as a way to commit to do tasks which they find difficult to run on their own. How so it it's works. a kind of an accountability group. Yes, like exactly. All right. So I work on my own task, not that we all work on the same. Just making it clear. <laughs> yes, you work on your own task, but you have a group of people who are working on their tasks mm -hmm. and you are in it together and you start by saying what you want to achieve. You split into smaller groups where you work for half an hour and then you have five minute conversation with your accountability partner and then you work another half an hour and then you have again five minutes. And so then kind of a Pomodoro timer, yeah. but with human support. Definitely. Right. I've done it a few times and I was always at all about how much work I was able to pull in this hour and a half and how difficult it is to do it on your own. Mm. So if you ever had a problem with pulling yourself together to finish something or to do something, check www.gogodone.com. Join a session, even if it's like a trial for you and oh, I'm sure you're going to love it. This is nothing sponsored by Heather. Like this is absolutely my own opinion. I just love what she's created. But the conversation I remember being full of really interesting insights. And Heather is definitely a person with a lot of introspection. I don't want to spoil it now, but there were a few really great insights that I never heard before. And well, if you go for this episode, be prepared for a very lively person on the other end. What was really surprising for me is how many people who are extrinsically motivated, Heather called them obligers. So if you are an obliger, meaning that you need to have an external award in order to perform well, how difficult it is to get yourself to do things without a deadline or without an external person waiting for the result that you are supposed to deliver. This is something that... I don't think I necessarily need. So hearing Heather talking about it and unpacking it was a super interesting insight for me. She shared how she deals with that. Mm -hmm. And it's brilliant. 
I'm also guessing that this obligers versus the other people. I don't think it's a binary thing. Each of us will have aspects which where we are self-driven and some other jobs or contexts where we are driven by other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this episode is full of really big and small tricks how to deal with this. And by the way, Go Go Dan is rooted exactly in that, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. yeah. There is a, another little thing that Heather touches upon. She talks about unproductive and productive downtime. So how do you spend your time when you are not working? And what of it is numbing and what of it is energizing? So yeah, I love that concept. And I am much more conscious now about how I spend my downtime. I also liked in her take, it's that neither is good or bad. It's just sometimes you need one, sometimes you need the other, and both are fine. Just make sure that you know what you're doing and if that's really what you want. Totally. Okay, so the next guess. Oh, that was a really deep rabbit hole, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It's a conversation with Greg Enriquez. Greg is an internationally recognized vocal coach. He is known for getting people much better in no time. And I attest to it because I had a chance to train under his eye and he did in 15 minutes something that I was struggling for half a year to do. I also remember him saying that it is impossible to know how long it will take for someone to sing on the level that they want to. So he seems to be very effective. But this in no time, I think he would disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> True. Again, this is a conversation about singing being a journey and not a destination. Another vocal coach, Monique Thomas, once said that you keep on learning how to sing and then you kick the bucket <laughs> and this is the end of your journey. <laughs> so I think that this is very much what Greg was telling. However, at the same time, he was revealing a few secrets about what you can do to make this journey speed up a little bit than if you were just doing this the regular way. Mm. Well, on the other hand, I'm not interested in learning how to sing. Still really interesting conversation. So if you, our listener, are not into singing, it's still really worth listening to. He's like a really great guy. And just a lesson in humbleness alone is worth listening. Mm-hmm. I think that a way of learning how to sing propagates very much to a way to learn how to be a leader or how to be creative or how to be a designer. You can draw so many parallels from that conversation to any path that you are finding yourself on that it's just incredible. Then the next guest is Ruth Janssen. And Ruth was our first guest in the first season. So it's so cool to have him back in season 10. I wasn't talking to him then. You were not. <laughs> I remember that was the episode that we recorded with Werner for the podcast fellowship. Mm. And on this episode, I was learning how to edit conversations. So I must say that this is probably the most polished conversation ever. <laughs> I never spent so much time polishing a conversation. Never, ever again. In the meantime, Ruth, together with his two friends, Rul and Dennis, they wrote 
second book called Design for Change. It's not a sequel of his previous book, Event Design, but I would say that the two books are intertwined as a way of thinking and as a way of approaching things like designing events or designing anything that really leads to a change. And Ruth makes a very interesting point, which I never, never considered before, that events, be it internal events within the organization or external events, are markers for the change process. When you want to make something explicit, you actually organize an event to talk about certain things that happened. But the change happens in between the events, yes. right? The next conversation with Gilbert, it really took me back to the Netherlands working in the research environment. I almost smelled the flavors of the corridors at the Tiwi and early Philips building before they got reconstructed, <laughs> really. 1950s smells. Probably. <laughs> well, 60s. <laughs> and the Super Mario elevator. Which probably doesn't exist anymore, right? No, no, they redone this building when we were still there. And did they keep the elevator or not? No. Ugh. It's probably doesn't meet any safety uh, standards. Just, okay, since we are talking so long about this. So basically, the first building I was working on, on the Philips campus, there was this elevator. I don't think it's really called elevator, but imagine little boxes that travel through the floors and they never stop. So you just walk into a box as it moves up and then you get out of the box on a different floor and you can go around even. <laughs> yeah, and there were questions whether they turn <laughs> upside down and you fall on your head. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Gilbert Cockton is Professor Emeritus. He has this <laughs> word of double emeritus, but I am not able to pronounce it in any language, really. He was my professor when I was doing my master's and uh, he spent decades working at uh, two British universities. He was basically responsible for the design departments there and was a professor of design theory and practice. He was probably like that before, but now when he is officially retired, to use an English word, <laughs> he's probably even more gloves off <laughs> in his statements and uh, opinions. I really like this kind of attitude. So just telling how it is. And the thing that stuck with me is his critique of trying to get the creative process under control. <laughs> And there is also a nice twist because you guys mostly talk about design work. But then he has one or two really cool anecdotes from his, well, apparently big part of his family were in engineering. That is considered a creative job too, mm -hmm. in that context, at least. Now, when I think about it, it took me back to more than the smell of the <laughs> building, the kind of fights that we had when we were basically designing stuff. That didn't exist. That's the interesting thing, that when you are working on something which is maybe more incremental, if the process is controlled, you can probably get away with it. But if you are trying to get something which is completely new. It's a different perspective, different way of thinking, different rabbit hole for a solution. You just need to have this design culture like you used to have back at Philips Research, right? We didn't really discuss it with him, but what he proposes is really at odds with this quote unquote modern way of engineering that you basically do 
little tweaks all the time and you don't really spend time designing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to beat at the Spotify horse again. <laughs> <laughs> but yesterday we were driving in a car and a different song was playing and a different cover was displayed. I mean, this is just basics that don't work. Even if the system is not perfectly designed, it's really difficult to get it right the first time. And this basic stuff should always work. Mm. It connects to me with a conversation with David Milan from IBM Research. Mm. I think that both Gilbert and David, they were making similar points to what you are telling now. And we had this conversation yesterday, I think, about how remote work might finally force people to plan better rather Mm. than keep on just running with the wheelbarrows half empty. And that would be a very interesting thing in a sense that if you spend more time thinking about what you want to do, so having a conversation, being critic sessions, see tools and ways to sharpen your thinking and your idea, yeah, it can revive a lot of the things that we've been probably the last people to experience in yeah, industrial yeah. research and also revive the way of thinking like Toyota way. I should add here that there are two conversations to be had, but the solution is similar. What we want to do, but also how we want to do this. So this conversation was about the how, but obviously the what conversations are coming back, but I don't see the how conversations loud and long enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, then we had uh, James. Very different story, right? Mm-hmm. James is an author. He wrote two books. One is called Stuff Occasion and the other Time and How to Spend It. And he started something which is called the World Experience Organization, a network of pioneers in the experience economy. And he is building a community that's so vibrant and so thought-provoking that I'm absolutely at all with his energy and the scale of what he envisioned to build and how consistent he is to actually make it happen. Now it just occurred to me that it wasn't discussed on the episode and I guess many of our listeners are actually designers. You didn't say in your conversation with James, whether anyone can join mm-hmm. or should join this organization. So basically you can subscribe. You will be vetted in a sense that James is looking for people who are truly designing experiences. He wants to create a network of people who are doing experience design already. Okay. So it's not for beginners and just staying informed. It sounds like you need seasoned practitioners. For now, yes. Okay. I am sure that he has bigger plans. Mm-hmm. However, right now the idea is to gather and connect people who are already advanced in designing experiences and working within the area of experience economy. Because it's only starting and he's probably now laying foundations for it. Yes. And it will expand to something bigger later. Definitely. Okay, Al- cool. Although he already has, I think, like over 220 organizations that joined. And I think that he reached all the continents. <laughs> we have people from India, from Australia, from the US, Canada, Mexico, yeah, of course, Europe. Yeah, but he said something about like missing big countries like Brazil. Yeah. I remember he also made an effort to make it not anglocentric. Indeed. And with James, we were talking about 
the era of experientialism, that's how he calls it, and how this is probably the next thing that's coming to us as consumers. And this is like really fascinating for me because I keep on thinking that Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore wrote their book, The Experience Economy, in, I hope that I'm not messing up the dates, but I think it was 1989. And they predicted this 30 years ago, and now it slowly starts happening. And James, who is a researcher of trends, he says that this is ripe enough right now to actually happen. And that's why the organization. And he is dreaming about having a way to vet organizations, whether they are truly experience focused. And we had a very, very long conversation on how to do it and how to measure the unmeasurable and how to get into creating something that can measure on the one hand, the companies that try to do experiences and on the other hand, the experiences themselves. Yeah, very interesting and tricky mm. subject. Still many questions left. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then another professor. Yes. It's a professor rich season, isn't it? <laughs> True. Matt Derren, we met with Matt through the College of Extraordinary Experiences, but Matt is also a member of the World Experience Organization. We dig into the topic of experience with Matt and especially into a topic of what does it mean to go through a transformational experience. And this is something that fascinates me because I remember you asked me some time ago, how many transformations can people go through in a week? With Matt, we are trying to answer that question a little bit, right? Yes, although if I remember correctly, that left me a little bit confused because what you can almost call every moment transformative one way or another. So we talk about big transformations and the small changes. And of course you have many of these little things along the day, but then where does it end, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things that needs more time in my subconscious brain to fit into my other models of the world. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I was just reading a tiny excerpt from a book that a friend sent to me, which said that basically what's happening in our brain is that our neurons are having silent conversations and some neurons like to converse with each other more. So basically you have to convince some of your neurons to have a silent conversation about that. And then it can get surfaced to the subconscious and unconscious brain <laughs> and then you will have an answer. <laughs> Okay, and the last guest comes from none of our networks. It was very unexpected, wasn't mm -hmm. it? It's a very special guest. Her name is Sylvia Ero. And in order to prepare properly for this conversation, we had to watch a movie on Netflix. No, we didn't have to. We wanted <laughs> to. <laughs> How did she arrive on our, on our mm -hmm. podcast? So Sylvia is right now, which is early November of 2021. She's about to have her book published and her branding agency contacted us whether we would like to have a conversation with her, which we jumped on immediately, particularly because she's an oceanographer. And Jesus, this is the word that will kill any Polish person. And uh, we both diverse. So having a conversation about oceans and 
water and coral reef and fish and anything that lives underwater was something that we both were very much looking forward to. Mm -hmm. However, the conversation is not entirely optimistic. Well, it is and it isn't. In a way that we talk a lot about what is happening to the oceans, about overfishing and all kinds of exploitation that we as humans do, and that is a real danger to us, basically. But there is also quite a lot of optimism in a sense that we now know that we do this. And even though the populations of many fish and other organisms were decimated like really heavily, it is still possible for that to recover as long as we do something about it. Sylvia is also talking a lot about animal equality and animal rights. This is something that gets me triggered a lot these days because I think that I am very much realizing that human centricity may not be the most optimal approach for our planet to survive. That, of course, as humans, we are crucial element of the... I have to tweak this a little bit. Mm -hmm. The human centricity is probably not the best way for humans to survive. (laughs) Fair point. (laughs) Okay, yes. Just to quote my favorite (laughs) comedian, (laughs) George Carlin, planet is fine. We are (coughs) rude. (laughs) I think that there is a growing realization across the world and also in the design community that we need to change that way of thinking as we had before. And by the way, Gilbert is also referring to this a little bit in our conversation with him. And I think that the conversation with her made me realize that probably we need to start acting even faster than... I ever expected. On a kind of a different level, it also made me think about two things. One we mentioned a little bit during this conversation is the question why the forests are getting much more attention than the seas in media, in public opinion. And it makes me think about stuff that goes wrong, but it's less visible or undetected. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, The problem with the sea, unlike the freshwater fish, is that you don't have to invest, you just harvest. And that made me think about things like psychological well-being of people in especially big companies, Mm -hmm. right? This is something if you are a leader, especially high-ranking leader, this is a resource that probably most people don't think about, maybe a good enlightened HR departments should be thinking about this. But if you're a high-ranking leader, you think that basically, you know, these 40 hours or however long people work in your company is a limitless resource. You don't have to do anything. They have holidays, so this is how they recover and it should work. But if I think of a few organizations that are no, that are in a constant firefighting mode or Mm. under constant pressure or crisis, whether real or imagined, it doesn't work that way. I mean, people are a limited resource. I don't know how to put this kind of um, psychological energy, for lack of a better words. It's something that depletes slowly, but recovery is even longer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's 
largely unaccounted for. And the cost of having demotivated people or tired people or burnout people is super high. Yeah, so for me, it's like the exact parallel with this overfishing, right? There is something that you basically take from. And once it's at a critical level, the whole system collapses. End of story. Very interesting parallel. Mm, love it. We have to mention another episode, one more episode, because I know that many listeners are starting from this one instead of from the intro. And during the introduction episode, we did share a little bit about how the sausage is made. Mm -hmm. So if that is something you're curious about, uh, the first episode has uh, some insights into that. <laughs> yeah, so for the first time, we are actually referring to the first episode in our last episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think. Mm. There is one more thing that has been promised to one of our guests, James. James asked me to sing something for uh, this season. And as scared as I am... Oh, you can always edit it out <laughs> if it doesn't work, right? True. So, Aga, let me tell you some basic rules about how we record this podcast. <laughs> we will send you this episode for authorization. And if you don't like something, we will cut it off. No questions asked. So feel free to do anything. If you make a mistake, don't go through it. Make a clean cut. Start over. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for reassuring me here. I'm not sure if we mentioned it in the first episode, but this is always what we tell to our guests so they feel more at ease. Okay. It doesn't make me feel much more at ease, but I'm going to try it anyway as my first official public performance. That is untrue. Oh, I sang to a crowd that I know, but I've never sung to people who have never okay. seen my face. If you put it that way, <laughs> <laughs> they are still not going to see your face. Yeah, <laughs> you never sang to a crowd who didn't see your face. Yeah. And who didn't know who I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <coughs> Happy anniversary to us. Happy anniversary to us. No, once again. Happy season anniversary to us. Happy season anniversary to us. Happy season anniversary to us and our listeners. Happy season anniversary to us. Yeah! <laughs> Forgive me for this performance, but a promise is a promise. <laughs> and so now there are two episodes with music in it, <laughs> yes. which is not the intro or the outro music. Okay, I wouldn't call it music, <laughs> but let's do it. It's an attempt at singing. <laughs> Still music. And the other one is also kind of... Weird. <laughs> weird in a weird key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a weird instrument. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> All right, so now that we close season 10, it's time to announce season 11. I can't wait for you to tell me the theme. <laughs> hey, we had a discussion about it. Yeah, I still don't know what we picked. Mm, true. So we've been talking about having a very, very simple theme. Do. And the story about why such a theme and what's the behind the scenes story we will tell in the episode one of the next season and for now thank you very much for listening we hope you enjoy this 10th season 
and we as usual hope to hear from you yes please let us know what we can do better and what you like as well so our ego get a little boost (laughs) (laughs) always needed yeah (laughs) thank you for listening to this episode of the catching the next wave podcast we would love to hear from you on twitter at malka6 and at dls6 you can find more details on www.catchingthenextwavepodcast.com. Mm, looking at our calendars, we do well.